So let's pray now for God's help as we look at this. Through these early chapters in the book of Acts, we pray you'd continue to do that this morning by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see and understand what is being said here, what it means for us today, what it means for us as we seek to follow Jesus in our lives here in London in 2022. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, there's a story about a bishop who was once comparing his life as a bishop to that of the Apostle Paul. And uh, as you may or may not know, bishops spend a lot of time uh, traveling around visiting different churches. And uh, so did the Apostle Paul, we discover later in Acts. He, he hasn't come on the scene yet. He's still Saul at this point. But um, this bishop said this, wherever St. Paul went, there was a riot. Wherever I go, they serve tea. And even at this early stage in the book of Acts, it's easy to feel slightly intimidated and even disillusioned by the difference between the experience of early Christians as we, as we read it here in the book of Acts and, and our own experience today. You know, God was so real to them. The effect of the Holy Spirit among them was tangible. You know, they, they could see God at work. There were healings and signs and wonders and all kinds of extraordinary things going on. It was exciting. You know, and here we are, and it's kind of mid-February, and it's still a bit dark and depressing, and COVID is still doing its thing, no matter how hard we try, and life easily feels just a little bit meh. It's the positives in the book of Acts the things that catch our attention and, and make us sort of excited, the Holy Spirit coming on people in an apparently visible way, the, the healings and so on. But we saw last week, if you were with us, that with those exciting things actually also come not-so-pleasant things, opposition, persecution. And in the reading that we heard just now, even dramatic death and judgment following serious sin so from the outset we need to be careful what we wish for in one sense but still maybe we might ask why isn't it more like this and as we ask that question we need to remember that again and again we're seeing in the book of acts and we keep saying this because it's really important to remember description is not prescription this is not necessarily here in this book in order to tell us exactly how our lives ought to look today, a kind of church manual that we can pull off the shelf to see what exactly we should be doing. It's not prescribing how things ought to be in detail for everyone everywhere, but it's describing the foundation of the building that we're part of many floors up. And the foundation will look different from the building that is built on it, but it's really important that the foundation is there, and it's really important for the building and for those in the building to know that the foundation is there. That's why we're looking at this and how it then speaks into our lives today. So as we read this then, the kind of the control for how we understand these verses, you know, how we kind of read this and then we just, we think, well, is this something we should expect today or not? Those kind of questions, the control for that is both Luke's purpose in writing 
So why is Luke writing? We need to understand that. That will help us to think what this means for us today. And why is he writing? Well, he tells us at the beginning of Luke's gospel, kind of Luke part one. This is Luke part two in the book of Acts. He tells us at the beginning he wants to give his readers confidence about what they've heard, about what Jesus did in his life and then after he'd risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, the book of Acts. But he wants to give his readers confidence because he's carefully researched his eyewitness accounts. So that's one of the controls that we have for kind of reading this and understanding what it means for us today. The other is simply what the rest of the Bible and the New Testament lay out for us as expectations on what normal church life looks like. So we need to bear all that in mind as we see what these things mean for us. In verse 33, in the reading we heard near the start, Luke highlights God's grace powerfully at work in them all. Can you see that at the second half of verse 33? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. When God's grace is at work, then, what do we find? That's the question for us this morning. When God's grace is at work, what do we find? And what we find is growth. Growth in generosity, growth in fear of God, growth in number. That's what we're going to see this morning, briefly in these verses. So, first of all, growth in generosity. We've got the points on the screen. You've also got it on the back of the yellow notice sheet, if that's helpful. This is an an extraordinary picture of community life that we get in these verses. They are one in heart and mind, verse 32. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They're sharing everything. Now, it sounds like some kind of commune, doesn't it? You know, and on one level, it kind of sounds idyllic. You know, whenever anyone is in need, people use their resources to meet that need. But the key to understanding what is going on here is verse 33. What was motivating this wasn't some commitment to a political philosophy of some kind, nor was it imposed from above by a new system, you know, led by some kind of dictator who determined, you know, you can't own any property anymore. Now, this wasn't like that. This was a grassroots movement. And the key thing was it was in response to God's grace. Now, that phrase, God's grace, is a bit of Christian jargon for talking about God's generosity to his people. How generous God is. We call that the grace of God. Do you see what's going on here? They're not compelled by law. They're not induced by guilt trips. You know, they don't have hours of specific teaching and preaching on giving even. So the apostles haven't stood up and given lots of sermons about how they really ought to give. You know, come on people, let's give a few more pounds and boost that giving thermometer a little bit more. That isn't what's been going on here. It is simply that God's generosity, and especially if you look, same verse, his generosity in raising Jesus from the dead, that generosity motivates them to be generous. Do you see? That's all they were doing. They're just preaching that Jesus has risen from the dead. Result, extraordinary generosity in the people of God. Time and again, Christians have found that the best motivator for our own generosity is simply understanding how generous God has been to us. That's all it is. Now, of course, it's not always easy 
to see that. There's a scene, I don't know if you remember this, um, in The Simpsons. And there they are, Mr. Burns has come round, not, not Gareth Burns, but different Mr. Burns, has come round for dinner, and the Simpsons are there, and they're gathered, and Bart is asked to give thanks, and uh, there he is, and he, he prays, Dear Lord, we paid for this food ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And... Uh, it's kind of, and then the, 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 the conversation goes on, and Mr. Burns kind of congratulates Bart for his honesty. Um, it, you know, only an innocent child could say such words, he says. But anyway, the point is, we, we, we know, we, we, the, the reason that is kind of amusing is that it, we, we recognize that kind of response in ourselves, don't we? You know, we work really hard for this. But actually, the reality, really, and we know this too, if we're honest. The reality is that we don't even get to draw the breath that we need to speak words like that without God sustaining us and sustaining the entire universe. We don't even get to draw that breath. And more than that, he gave us his own son in the greatest act of generosity imaginable and from that we get the profound truism you cannot outgive god isn't that right you cannot outgive god look at how generous he has been to us you know if we're honest our attitude to being generous is very often much more to do with asking questions like this you know how much is enough that's what we really want to know how much is enough you know can i get away with 10 percent even 5%, or should it be 15? Should it be 20? You know, tell me how much it is, just give me a figure, and then I can kind of do that, and then move on and stop having to think about it. But for these first Christians, their experience of God's generosity to them has turned everything on its head. For them, what drives them is not the primary question that drives many in our world today, which is, what can I buy? But what, can you see what the question is here? It's not what can I buy, is it? It's what can I sell? What can I sell because so, so that I can meet the needs of those around me? Not what can I buy to improve the life of my, uh, you know, my life and my family's life. What can I sell so I can meet the needs of those around me, especially those among God's people who are in need? And the result is something extraordinary. Now, what do we make of this today in the 21st century? From, you know, from what we can see here, it's clear what's going on is entirely voluntary. You know, there isn't a, a command to do this. No one is preaching that they should sell their property or even that they should give their money. It's the good news about Jesus that they hear and their response is sacrificial generosity. You know, we're thinking about the controls of the rest of the New Testament and the expectation that, that sets. We heard in the second reading in 2 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. Each person should give in their, what, what in their own heart they've decided to give in response to God's generosity. That is what we see going on here. So our starting point is, how generous has God been to me? Let me respond with the same generosity to others. That's all that's going on here. It's been said many times, you cannot legislate for love. You cannot force somebody by law or command to love in the way that Christians are doing here in these verses, can you? You cannot give people a list of rules that says, here's what you must do or else. When it's coerced, 
then it's little more than theft. When it's spontaneously and freely given, it's love. Can you see the difference? And the other thing to notice as we're trying to you know, think, what does this actually mean for us? Is, well, they did actually continue to have their own possessions and property. Because otherwise they would have just liquidated it all at once. They didn't do that. But as needs arose, they looked around and said, well, look, look, God has been so generous to us and here are these needs around us. How are we going to meet them? Well, look, I've got this spare field. Why don't I sell that? And that, that will help us in this situation. Needs met by others in the community of God's people. What's going on underneath this is they're recognising, if you think about it, that people matter more than property and possessions. Isn't that right? It's a great principle to live by, isn't it? Could, could someone tell from the way that we spend our money, however much that is, that people matter more than property and possessions? Maybe that focus on the resurrection of Jesus in the preaching of the apostles in verse 33 helped them to remember that because, of course, people last into eternity. That's the point, isn't it? If you invest in people, you're investing in something eternal. But possessions and property, however much we might wish otherwise, they always get left behind. Now, we do live in a slightly different world today as we think about you know, how to apply this. You know, in those days, there was no welfare state of any kind. If you didn't have money, you would literally starve and die. That was all that was there for you. And things are different today, although even today, let's not forget, you know, if you are an asylum seeker, for example, you have no access to public funds, and you're expected to live on less than £40 a week in total. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, we do have asylum seekers in our church family. And others who will come and visit, and, and you know, all kinds of things from time to time. But there, there is a principle here that the rest of the New Testament applies very clearly. In the light of God's other person-centered generosity to us, how can we not be generous to one another? That's the point, isn't it? It's not helpful to make this into a law. You know, we're probably thinking, come on, let's be specific. What do we have to do? Well, you know, the answer is pray and reflect on how much God has given you and be generous. That's it. They grew in generosity. And then we read, they grew in fear of God. Secondly, in fear of God. We hear first positively about Barnabas. He sold a field and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet so they could distribute it as needed. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira. Sounds like the makers of the popular Vauxhall family car had not read the beginning of chapter 5, although they didn't go for the Vauxhall Ananias, which might have been even more unpopular. But Ananias and Sapphira, or Sapphira, or however you want to say her name, they do the same. They sell a field. But the difference is Ananias, we're told, with his wife's full knowledge, and Luke tells us this carefully, and they kept back some of the money. Ananias kept back some of the money for himself and put the rest at the apostles' feet. 
And Peter knows immediately, we're not told how, but he knows immediately what has happened. Whether someone's tipped him off, whether God has revealed it to him somehow, he knows. But we need to read Peter's response very carefully. What does he say? He says, Satan has filled your heart. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, what is Peter saying? It's easy to read this and to assume that what he's saying is that, come on, you've not been generous enough. You know, come on, Ananias, the rule is you have to give 100%. And you've only given 75%. So I'm sorry, that's not good enough, not generous enough. You've been busted. But have a look. Verse 4, actually the issue is slightly more subtle. What does he say? He says, didn't it belong to you in the first place? In, in other words, this was yours to do with as you pleased, this property. You could do what you like with it. You didn't have to sell it. It's your property. You get to decide in response to God's generosity what you do. And then he says, after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So in other words, if you wanted to just give 75% or 50% or 5%, well, you were free to do that. It's absolutely fine. But end of verse 4, what is the issue? You have lied, not just to human beings, but to God. Do you see that? You lied, not just to human beings, but to God. So can you see the issue? Ananias has gone to the apostles and he said, I'm going to give you all the money that we get for selling this property. All of it, he said to them. You're going to get it. And then he's only given them some of it. So what is he doing then? What's going on? Well, he isn't just being stingy. What's actually going on is he's attempting to get a reputation for generosity without actually being generous. Can you see that? He's trying to use his resources then not to serve the needs of God's people. But what he's actually doing is he's attempting to buy for himself a name for serving others. Can you see? So what is his concern? Not God and his people, it's him and his reputation. And what happens next is shocking, isn't it? You know, can you imagine these young men in verse 6? Ananias hears the accusation, he falls down and dies. And great fear seizes them. There's the fear. We're going to think about the fear of God in a moment. Three hours later, Sapphira walks in. And if it wasn't so serious, it would almost be funny because here she is and she's acting all normal and she's wondering what time Ananias is going to be home for tea and Peter asks his question and she lies like her husband. And she is accused of testing the spirit of the Lord and she then too falls down and dies and the door opens and there are the young men just back from burying Ananias and they have to go off and do it all again well, what is going on here then we need to see we need to understand in, in, in understanding this there are echoes here of another couple of significant events in the Bible which also happen at critical moments when God's people have been given a new start so the first one is the slightly less obvious one, which is just Adam and Eve, husband and wife, in the Garden of Eden. Husband and wife given so much by God, and they conspire together, and they're found out, and they receive God's sentence of judgment. The, the other um, comparison is more obvious if you know the story in the book of Joshua. 
in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 7. Again, it's a new start for God's people because they just entered the promised land. It's a kind of big moment, fresh start, what's going to happen. But pretty quickly, like in the Garden of Eden, they've been established there. Like here in the promised land, what happens? There is a major incident of sin amongst them. Achan holds back some of the plunder for himself and his family against the instructions that he's been given to destroy it. And what happens is very similar to what happens to Ananias and Sapphira here. So can you see each of these incidents is telling us, as God's people are given a new start, don't be fooled. Sin is still real, and it's still a problem, and it's still deadly serious. In chapter 4, we, we heard all about opposition from outside the people of God, but this is here to warn us there will be opposition from within as well. There is still sin within the people of God. And perhaps today, as we reflect on things that have been going on in, in the wider church and the wider world, even amongst evangelical churches, as we hear about fallen church leaders who've done things that we, are, are, that we find deeply disappointing and, and, and hurtful, these verses here remind us, actually, this isn't a surprise when God's people are given a fresh start in a new way, even here in the book of Acts, what they do is still marked by sin. The problem of sin is still there among God's people. It's not that the church gets together and they're the good guys and then the rest of the world are the bad guys. It's that even within the church, don't be surprised that there is still sin. Therefore, take God seriously. Now, we then need to think, well, what do we make of this, them falling down dead? What's that about? Well, we, we, the point is, how come God acts in judgment straight away is the question, isn't it? Why doesn't he even give them a chance to confess and repent? And the point is, we know God's judgment could come at any time. Not just that Jesus will return and we don't know when, but that maybe even as we've glimpsed with COVID, that death itself could be completely unexpected for any of us at any time. And of course the issue is Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't thinking about that at all. Their concern is here and now and what others think of them. That's what they were worrying about. Let's buy a reputation for generosity. Even just, they just worried about what their church friends thought about them. So that's actually what's going on here, isn't it? That's their primary motivator. And so this is here as a warning. But when people are big and God is small, as it were, there is a problem. Fearing God doesn't mean being scared of him, but it means taking him seriously. When else are we tempted to settle for the reputation for godliness over godliness itself? Isn't that a massive temptation, actually, when we think about it? You know, I want people to think that I'm generous. I want people to think that I'm prayerful. I want people to think that I'm sacrificial with my time. That I'm a nice person. That I've got it all together. While the reality behind closed doors is completely different. 
And actually, in a social media world, it's all about the image that we project to others. Isn't this even more a massive thing for not least God's people as well as the wider world? But among God's people, aren't we free from needing to project a different image of ourselves to the world around us, to one another? Aren't we free from that? See, a church of Ananias and Sapphira's will be a church where no one feels able to be honest or real about what is going on in their lives. Because what matters is not reality, but a carefully curated version of reality so that no one really knows the real you. So let me challenge us to find ways to be honest with one another. Not simply to buy a reputation for being sorted, but to share our burdens with each other. Because the person that we're sharing with is a struggling sinner also. This episode with Ananias and Sapphira says to us, don't mess with this kind of dishonest valuing of reputation over reality. If we're aware then of sin in our lives, if there's some kind of besetting sin, this is saying, get help now before it's too late. This is here as a warning. That is what it means to fear God, to be warned and to say, actually, today is the day to put things right. Because none of us know when the judgment of God will come. And if we continue in a pattern of sin and we get away with it and nothing happens, the thing is we might start to think it's okay. It doesn't matter. No one will ever know. No one knows what, you know, what, what's being looked at on the computer screen late at night. No one has a clue. Oh, it must be fine then. But God knows. I've got a list of things that I pray for my children that I picked up from somewhere. <clears throat> and it uh, cycles round with a different thing each day. And one, on one day it says, pray that they get caught when they sin. Now, that sounds like the sort of thing a parent might pray just to make their life easier. That's not the point. The point is, the worst thing that can happen to us is that we sin like Ananias and Sapphira here, and nothing happens. And we think, oh, it's fine then. And we carry on. Perhaps you could pray that prayer for me. That when we sin, we get caught. Pray it for me, and I'll pray the same for you. Now, God, in his generosity does often give us a chance to come to our senses, to repent, to come back to him, so that judgment does not necessarily immediately follow sin. And we have a chance to come to our senses and say, oh, that was wrong. Lord, will you forgive me? So pray that we have the opportunity to do that too. But pray that none of us would start to think so little of God and so much of ourselves that we casually value what others think of us more than we value what God thinks of us.
fear him. So can you see this is all still a response to God's grace at work among his people. That's where we started. Because when his grace is at work, we take him seriously. But then thirdly and finally, and and much more briefly, when God's grace is at work, God's people grow in number. Verses 12 to 16. So the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now, this is helpful. It says to us, it's okay to be different and defined, different from the world around us. That's what was going on here, wasn't it? They, They were a distinct group that looked different, expect the church to be different, to have different values from the world around us. You know, that's okay. People, therefore, should be able to look at us and go, well, you know, why are you different? Why do you believe that? You know, come on, it's 2022. What are you doing believing in this guy, Jesus? What is that about? That, that's, that, that's okay. That's normal. Even then, to be kind of countercultural and to stick out like that was entirely normal so not everyone wanted to join them verse 13 that's okay too some people would just go no that that's not for me but some did because when we live out the generosity god has shown us in christ we can expect to grow we've got this focus on growth this term as we focus towards these life 22 events in a few weeks time Let's use these events to reach out to different people around us as we share what it means to trust in God's grace and generosity in Christ. The verses end then with more healings. We thought about healings in our world today a couple of weeks ago. But these events both of judgment in advance with Ananias and Sapphira and then also the healings like this with Peter, they are concentrated particularly around these foundational apostles as God builds his church. But as we began by asking, what would it look like? What should it look like? What does it look like when God's grace is at work among his people today? What does the normal church look like in the middle of February in London in 2022? Well, life may look different from how it was for these early Christians, both positively and negatively, but let's be encouraged and not miss God's grace when he still is at work as we grow in generosity in response to his generosity when we see and experience that praise him when we grow in fear of God and take him seriously when we see and we experience that praise him and as we grow in number when we see that and we experience that today praise him. He was at work then and he is still at work now. Praise him. Let's pray now. Father, help us as we reflect on our response to this, both 
individually and together as a church family. Help us to see what to do differently as we go from here. Thank you for your extraordinary generosity. May that continue to change us. And if perhaps we haven't yet responded to Jesus for ourselves, may we see more clearly how generous you have been in Jesus in sending him to die on the cross. See how good and loving and generous you are in a world where that is so often hard to find and come to Christ and trust in him. And if we're doing that today for the first time or if that's part of an ongoing life of following Jesus, might we then respond in generosity and fear that takes you seriously? And might that lead to your people growing? In Jesus' name, amen.